John has been, uh, you've been at Ashland praying for people, uh, sort of soaking in the, the power and the anointing of God. So I'm assuming that you've got some, uh, some fresh, fresh stuff for us today. Yes? Fresh. Yes. Fresh. Thank you, Jay. Hey, don't you appreciate Jay? I mean, he's already got one. Steve already said Jay is one of the connectors around here. He's more than that. Uh, I don't want to say all he's more than, but but he is a special guy. Uh, at, at the center, you know, if, 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 as you start getting familiar with God's story, uh, one of the things that you realize is that at the center of God's story is family. And at the center of family are mothers and fathers. And in, in extreme situations, uh, children lose their parents. It happens. Uh, literally, their parents die, accidents, whatever, wars. Uh, and when children lose their parents, they become orphans. And so when, when societies see orphans, they realize we have got to move towards these children, these young people, because they're completely helpless and vulnerable without family, without parents. And so, you know, we make provision for them. And we know that we have to do this because they're vulnerable in very unique ways and uh, way more than adults are. And I think it's, it's my contention that one of the ways you can characterize our society now, there's a lot of ways you can say, you know, what, what, when you look at our society, American society as a whole, there's a lot of, I think, adjectives you could use to, to say it, it, this characterizes it or that characterizes it. But I want to suggest to you that what characterizes our society today is an, an orphan sort of mindset, an orphan sort of experience where people in our culture have begun to look more and more like orphans than like we would say sons and daughters. And the difficulty of that is, is that, that orphans now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I think that is orphans are more vulnerable to insecurity, uh, identity insecurity. They're more vulnerable to immaturity of never reaching their potential. They're more vulnerable to abuse. They're more vulnerable to poverty. They're more vulnerable to confusion and deception. Uh, they're, they're vulnerable you know, there's been lots of research in, in the medical field about adverse childhood experiences and how that translates into health crises later in people's lives. That almost everybody who gets to my age or even younger than me that has serious health crises, what they found is the likelihood is they've experienced adverse childhood experiences when they were younger that those things impact your life and nothing impacts your life more than family. And when, when there isn't family as it's meant to be, 
There's nothing that impacts us more than that. And so to be an orphan, if you, if you look up the word orphan and how it's used in the New Testament and the Old Testament, and, and follow me, the word, is, the word, when it's used sort of generically, it meant a person who's in distress. So, I mean, obviously we know someone who's an orphan is probably facing some kind of distress. But if you look at the distress that characterizes our society today, you could, I think you could make an argument that it parallels the experience of, of people who are orphans. And so Jesus described this. I want to read you a, a, a passage. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 9. And if you've been around the vineyard, you've heard me quote this before, but it's a, it's a real rich picture of life then and now, and it tracks with what the point I'm making about orphans. Uh, in Matthew 9, 35 to 38, and by the way, there's Bibles underneath the chair seats in front of you if you need one, loners. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now I'm going to stop right there. Oh, let me read those two. Uh, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, Jesus saw the distress of crowds, and he said that, and and to their culture at that time, they would have immediately read this and understood what he meant because they were used to seeing uh, crowds of sheep, and they understood uh, their experience and uh, what, what made sheep healthy and what made sheep unhealthy. But what made sheep unhealthy was not to have a shepherd, and not to have a, a flock and a herd. And in fact, not just to have a shepherd, but not to have a good shepherd. And, you know, that's a whole another line of thought. But shepherds and sheep, the relationship between shepherds and sheep, you might not know it, but it's very intimate and very personal. That it's not uncommon for shepherds to recognize each of their sheep individually. And it's not unknown for shepherds to even name their sheep. And there is an affinity and a connection between shepherds and sheep that's similar to what people experience with pets, with horses. But it reflects, again, family, and it reflects this connection that we're all meant to have and to be part of something. But as human beings, we're not part of a flock, except sort of generically. We're part of families. And we're you know, part of the human family. We're part of the family of a certain nation, a neighborhood, a community, a, a local church. And one of the things that Jesus was saying, and I want to translate this back to the family from shepherds and sheep, is that he's saying we need spiritual mothers and fathers. We need spiritual mothers and fathers. And Jesus was functioning as that, but in light of the massive need he saw, the distress he saw, he wanted to create a community of spiritual mothers and fathers. And he said, 
there isn't very many of them. This is what he's saying here. If you, hear him, if you take it from the shepherd sheep metaphor and put it into the family again, he's saying where people are distressed, it's likely they don't have people who care for them and that care about the deepest need of their life, which is their spiritual need, and are related to them and connected to them in that way. And so we need spiritual mothers and fathers. We need more, what Jesus is saying, we need more spiritual mothers and fathers. We need more better spiritual mothers and fathers. And this is because, I'll tell you, uh, this is described in all kinds of ways, but there's a passage I want you to look at with me in 1 John. It's 1 John chapter 2. This is kind of back and further in the Old Testament. But here's what, uh, with variations, the, the leaders of the early church observed people who began to follow Jesus, and they said that, that the spiritual life is just a lot like natural life, that there are stages of growth. And so I want to read to you Three, what, what the Apostle John broke down the life span of a, of a spiritual person into three stages of growth. So in 1 John chapter 2, here's what he said. Get back here. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers and mothers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men and women, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you've known the Father. He's going to repeat himself. I write to you, fathers and mothers, because you have known him who's from the beginning. And I write to you, young men and women, because you're strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. So sometimes we kind of get put off by the idea of, you know, they're, 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 Followers of Jesus who are adults who are, who are more like children. But it's not saying anything bad. It's just saying that we all go through this stage of growth. And I remember my mom came to Christ when she was around 50. And uh, she went through. She's a very responsible, mature person. Uh, she ran a, a, a corporation. She ran a chain of jewelry stores. Uh, but she was a spiritual little child. She was learning what it meant to be in Christ, to be, she was learning what her identity was in Christ, that she was a beloved child of God. That is the essence. That's the first and most important stage of our lives. That is the foundation of everything else. And then the second stage, John said there, was that uh, we grow and we start becoming strong in our identity. It starts beginning to be lived out of our life, that we actually don't just believe that we have this new identity, it actually begins to make a difference in our life. And we begin to find a strength in that that we don't have on our own. Because the whole, you know, over and over and over, I mean, every possible way you could, you could make this point, God says, if you're, if you're, connect, if you're disconnected from me, you're a, you're a cut flower. You're, you know, you're going to wither. But if you're connected to me, you're going to bloom. You're going to keep blooming. You're going to keep giving life. Over and over and over, that picture, like, like in the Old Testament, it would be like trees. The picture of trees, flourishing trees that were by streams of water, is a picture that people of faith were compared to. People who had a real 
uh, deep and abiding faith in, in God. That they were like trees that flourished and, and gave life. Because that's the thing about trees. They aren't just these beautiful things. Oh my gosh, isn't that a beautiful tree? A tree is a crucial element of an ecosystem. If we don't have trees, our world is it, it's done, right? And so there's this picture. They're not just beautiful. They, they function. They have this value like we do. And so he's saying that, that when, you're, when you've got a sense of your identity in Christ and you begin to get rooted down in that and get, get secure, it begins to make a difference in your life and you begin to give life. And there's an aspect of spiritual warfare that people who go through this second stage, and I'll call it spir- spiritual adolescence, they start getting in touch with the idea that there's evil, there's an enemy, there's all kinds of implications to that. We won't explore that right now. But the last stage, I want you to see, he, he says, I write to you fathers, and I put mothers, because he's inferring that. I'm writing to you fathers and mothers because you know him who's been from the beginning. But what is it about a, a father or a mother that's the most easily uh, identifiable facet of their life? They have children. They multiply. They, they are giving, they, they have care for someone else. And the welfare and well-being of that person is more important to them than even their own life. And so John says he watched people as they followed Jesus go through those three stages. And he was writing to them because in the communities he was writing to, these letters he would write, like we call the letter, the epistle of 1 John, it would be given to a certain community and it would be uh, uh, copied and then passed around to other churches. And John was saying within every community there's there's spiritual fathers. There's people who are growing through these stages. Now, sometimes, we, to be honest with you, we get stuck. People can be in the first stage for a long time, way longer than they need to be, uh, and, and, and which is unfortunate. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to address that at length today, but that's got to be part of the way we, we reflect on our own personal experience and sort of where we're at. Because if we... If at the heart of what God made is a family, because if you go back to Genesis and you read the story in Genesis, God made everything, and then he put a father and a mother into it, which infers there's a family. God's like a community then a family, father, son, and spirit. We reflect this. that The world only works as a family, if there's fathers and mothers. And if, if fathers and mothers don't step into their roles, there's just distress. Could you agree with me that that's what happens if fathers and mothers don't do their job? There's distress. If they're, if they're doing their job and they're taking out, there's distress. Either way you look at it, there's distress. There's there's an orphanized culture. So maturity, if you think of this, what John's inferring, just in naming people at different stages, is he's saying the goal for everybody is to become a spiritual mother and father. And it doesn't mean that you're married and you have natural children. 
Because Paul called himself a spiritual father. Jesus was a spiritual father. He wasn't married. So this doesn't have to do with your marital status at all. So just take that off the table. Spiritual maturity, if you, if you are wondering, am I a spiritually mature person? This is one of the measuring sticks. Is Are you moving through these stages where you know who you are in Christ? That identity begins to be central and shapes you and you begin to fulfill the the role of someone with more responsibility and then more responsibility in in the world, not just in the church. I'm just going to focus this in the church briefly today. It's it's sometimes it's a little bit uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It when we think of this of spiritual maturity in these terms and realize our own sense of whether we're mature or not doesn't always match up with what God says. That years and years ago, Larry Tomczak, this guy was a leader in the body of Christ uh, back in the day when I was growing up in Christ, he said responsibility in the Christian life doesn't decrease, it increases. It just increases for all kinds of reasons, and that's a natural progression of life. Whether you have children or not, you know, we all own community. We all own all kinds of things. As we get, as we, we get, get more in life, we have more responsibility. We have more obligation. Uh, but in an orphanized culture, and the church can be orphanized, we don't recognize that. And we're always just stuck at some place where... We fail to hear God's call to grow into spiritual mothers and fathers who, who reproduce themselves and, and care for other people. And it doesn't, this isn't creating some sort of hierarchy. This is creating a community of care. Because fathers and mothers come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And if you're not comfortable with the idea of thinking yourself as a father or mother, think of yourself as a spiritual friend. Maybe you're even you're comfortable with that, and you go, I could even be comfortable with thinking of myself in you know different terms than that. How about mentor? We know the world works when people are growing in maturity. And they don't grow with maturity unless they get care and encouragement from, from others. And so the fact that spiritual mothers are so, and spiritual fathers are so needed is something that we just have to take, uh, take note of. And then, you know, I, I guess you can, I, I, you might ask, well, what, are, what exactly, can you give me a little more information about what they do? What does a spiritual mother and father do? I mean, we could talk about this for quite a long time. I'm just going to give you a brief sketch of it. And uh, if you open your Bible, go back from 1 John into 1 Thessalonians, I want to read a passage there, just five verses, where Paul gives us the job description of a spiritual mother or father. He says in verse uh, 6, 
1 Thessalonians 1.6. I was thinking it out loud. He says, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. Your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. Now, Paul, who was an, a, a, an apostle, he's like you know, a very important leader in the early church, church planter, uh, strateg- strategist, teacher. He said he, as a single man, functioned like a spiritual mother and a father to people. And he said, if you go, like, if you, if you take other occasions where he said this and you start harmonizing these all together, he was saying, I want, I want you to be like me and to imitate me. Imitate my example. That this is, this is God's calling all of us to that place beyond whatever stage we are to the next stage and then from that stage to the next stage. And spiritual mothers and fathers see everyone, everyone as dear to God, as with dignity and value and worth, whether they know it or not, whether they're acting like it or not, that's how spiritual mothers and fathers see them. Because I can guarantee you, whatever, we don't know a lot of the particulars about the churches in Thessalonica. But they're no different than the churches in Dublin. They're no different than the churches in Scandinavia or East Africa or Central America or wherever. They're made of people, many of which would be called gnarly, would be, you know, immature and uh, not the best examples of humanity, but they were trying to follow Jesus. And Paul says... When, when we brought the gospel to you and you believed, you became very dear to us. And you know, if you've ever been around people who are brand new Christians, who come from a whole range of backgrounds, they're not going to be shining examples of spiritual maturity. People that it's so easy to be patient with and so easy to get along with. They're going to come with all their, you know, uh, kinks in their hoses that, that come with uh, human beings. Every mother and father love their children. I mean, uh, you know, mature, healthy, loving mother and father do that. Now, what he says here, spiritual mothers provide sacrificial love, care, and nurture, and discipline. So that's, spiritual mothers provide nurture in, in, in important ways. And he says that first, and he says, we as apostles, leaders, we nurtured people. Now, sometimes men struggle with this. And if you've ever read, in a sense, the, and got a sense of the biogra- biographical sketch of Paul, Paul was a man's man in the truest sense of the word. Yet, 
He was comfortable with showing love that was nurturing. And, and he used the word tender and humble. These are words that weren't often associated with men. But he had been around the other apostles, and he'd been around Jesus, and Jesus was like that. And then spiritual fathers, he says, call people to maturity. They protect. They provide an example. They're a cheerleader. They discipline us. Sometimes spiritual mothers and fathers have to protect their children from themselves, not just from bad influences, from their own bad choices, right? Their own sort of bad way of thinking. And spiritual mothers and fathers work together to create a home and a family. You know the Hebrew word for repent? One of its meaning is to come home. Because at the heart of being away from God is being away from what is really family. Now, and I want to tell you something. You know, for, for weeks I've been thinking about sharing this with you. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, I try to sit down and pray, God, what are you saying to us as a church? Where are we going as a church? And I began to realize that some of the struggles that we have as a local community, as a local church, have to do primarily with not having people step up and be spiritual mothers and fathers. And it's not stepping up and being better people, you know? Like, stop playing cards so much, church. Well, you know, whatever. It's, it's not that. It's, it's something way more organic, but way more life-giving. And, and it, but it, it's not something that is out of your reach at all. Where God wants almost all churches to go, to be life-giving places, to be like a tree in the ecosystem, is to be family. Would you agree with that? And there's no family without mothers and fathers. There just isn't. They're the people that own it. And like Steve was saying earlier when he gave that encouraging word, There's a picture Paul, he's saying there. Uh, it's another way that, that Peter was saying in 1 Peter about us being living stones. Or being, and Paul used the same term. Living stones being built into a temple in which God dwells. A family is like that. And the, the, the mortar of a family, you could argue, that what, is, what is the mortar that holds family together? I think... Without any doubt, the mortar that holds a family together is their mother and father. Now, you could say it's love, but that's what moms and dads are supposed to be. There's all kinds of things. That whatever whatever you know, qualities that you think hold us together, it's the, embod- it's, it's the lived-outness of what it means to be a mother and a father. And all of us are made for this. Every one of us are made according to John, to grow into spiritual mothers and fathers. And, you know, adult, adults who are followers of Jesus, who are at that spiritual maturity level where they're just getting their feet 
placed on Jesus and they're getting their identity set, they can be spiritual friends with people and begin to function like spiritual fathers and mothers. And people who are spiritual adolescents that are starting to get their feet under them and grow, they can become big brothers and sisters that have a mentoring kind of role. There's, there's room for wherever we are to begin to step into this role, spiritual mothers and fathers. And here's the cool thing. At the heart of this whole call of God, this is in the heart of God. The, the most important prerequisite of this is that we simply learn to love. That we simply learn to love well. That is it. There's a lot of knowledge you don't have to have if you love well. There's a lot that you can help people get through in life if you love them well. And that is what, I mean, it, it, there is nothing more fundamental to being a good spiritual mother or father, to being a good mother or father, to being a good friend, to being a good mentor, to being good anything, than love. And I want to encourage you that the Lord is drawing every one of you on that journey to that kind of maturity and to that kind of role. He is. And so I want to ask you, and, you know, to consider this, because you probably already see this coming, is I think the Lord is asking some of us to begin to step into that role in, in ways that we're not stepping into it now. That there are people who the Lord wants you to invest in and love and care for. And there's a cost that you're going to have to pay for this. And there's, there's changes that you're going to have to make in your life. Just like if you've ever been married... And, you've, and kids have come along, all of a sudden, there is less time for all kinds of things that you enjoy. And you just go, okay, that's what this means. Uh, they increase and I decrease. And I think the question, that most, most of the time, the two objections that come up when I, when I talk to people about this is one of them is they say, I don't know if I'm ready. And the second one is, is I don't know if I want to. <laughs> right? I, I just want to stay as a little child for a long time. I love to come to church and just, like a little bird, just open my mouth, ah, just drop some worms in here. You know, it's just so great for everybody to take care of me. But you should, you should ask the Lord. And I'm going to give you a, a, a chance here in just a second. Just ask the Lord. Lord, what do you think about this? Because what, I, I don't know if you, if you feel this, but I'm not pushing really hard. I am not guilting you. And the reason why that is, I felt like in, in praying about this, this passage, especially where Jesus saw the crowds, the way that he addressed the need was he said, ask the Father for those workers. And in a minute, what I'm going to do is just take 
We're going to give God a little space, a little silence. And I want you to ask the Father with me for him to prompt whoever he's prompting right now to step forward and to embrace the next challenge of becoming spiritual mothers and fathers. And for some of you, it may just be the, the Lord's going to prompt you to begin to explore what does that mean. And Kathy and I, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to just take that little card on the back of the chair there. Put your name on it and just say, you know, I want to explore. I'm not, I'm not saying I want to do something yet. I want to understand what it means. I want to enter into a season of like discerning. What does it mean to be a spiritual mother and father for me? And would you help me think that through? And then there's others of you who go, I don't want to. And I think sometimes you don't want to because it's the cost is too high. And If you're going to move forward in your life, I just want to encourage you to realize this. You have too many irons in the fire that shouldn't be in the fire. And because of that, things that are really important in your life are getting neglected. And you're missing opportunities, which later on you're going to regret. I'm at, I, I turned 65 this week, and I have regrets in my life. Of, of opportunities I missed, things that, that would have been life-giving to me if I chose them, but they, meant, they would have meant I said no to certain other things in my life. And it's a choice. Everybody has a different set of choices when you consider this. But at the Vineyard and in our larger society, we need people who say, I've had enough binging on TV. I've had enough doing all the things that our culture does that are just about us. I've had enough having everybody take care of me. I've had enough of watching other people just stagnate for lack of care and lack of encouragement and lack of community. I'm tired of seeing people wander in the wilderness like the prodigal, squandering everything because there's no home for them. I'm tired of that. But there's a cost to it. There really is. And I know a few of you, the cost for you that you're counting is, I've done that before and I've kind of crashed and burned and I'm just not ready to get back in the saddle again. And so I encourage you, again, to take that. If the Lord prompts you to take that little V-mail card and put your name on it and just say, I want, to, I want help thinking about this. I want help discerning and sorting this out. Because some of you, you are so spiritual mothers and fathers already you're just not doing it. You're ready. You've already been spiritual mothers and fathers. And when you let yourself, you do it without thinking. 
But this has to become something you own. And you go, I'm stepping into the game. This is, this is my role. And it's really important for us to do that. So I just want to take a moment and I'm going to pray. And I want you to pray with me because this is really something we don't want people to do something they don't want to do. It's the last thing in the world that anybody should want is to force people to do anything. I believe that some of you, this is, this is something the Lord's stirring already. And this is just more confirmation. This is the second or third witness that he's calling you to step into a more self-conscious identification and role as a spiritual mother and father. So, if you could just bow your heads with me, uh, I want to pray. And we're just going to wait for a minute. Because the Father's, He's all about this, and He's all involved in this. Father, Jesus said that it distresses you to see spiritual orphans, to see people who are sheep without a shepherd. And that, that there are way too many sheep for the couple of shepherds we have. And that you have a great heart and your heart is extended towards them and you want us to partner with you. And so we ask you uh, as a church in this moment together, and there's others that aren't here, Lord, we, we stand before you representing them. And we ask you, Lord, sensing your spirit is uh, moving in this way and speaking to us about this. We ask for that unmistakable prompting and nudging and stirring and reminding and the echo. Lord, may some of us hear the echo of your voice from another time that we've already heard.
So, Father, I want to close just asking you to continue to speak to us this week. Continue to prompt us and guide us. And we ask you for spiritual mothers and fathers that this week there would be a threshold that people step across to, to consider and explore this and then also to just to say here I am send me and I pray that they would see the need around them as well as just uh, feel the prompting and the obligation and that under all of that they would experience uh, your great love for them as a taste of your love for others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you could, if you're, you, know, you feel like God's prompting you, get one of those V-mail cards, fill it out, and drop it in the uh, boxes on the way out the front door. If you have questions, I'll hang around here. And uh, Jay? Yeah. If it's just one person, it'll be a coffee with me and Kathy. <laughs> if there's more, we're gonna, which we're planning on, we're gonna have a, a series of meetings, okay. and conversations. Yeah. But I'll hang up here if you have more personalized questions that you wanna, like Jay, raise your hand and yell.